Hello, my friends. It's Ryan from the Prolific Creator Podcast. Now, many of you have asked, hey, Ryan, how do I support the show? Well, I finally listened. Starting today, you can subscribe to the Prolific Creator Plus on ACAST Plus for $3 a month. That's less than a cup of coffee. No apps to download and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Get access to the entire archive of Prolific Creator Awesomeness. Over 160 episodes going back to 2017. Yes, that's right, my friends. A plethora of information and inspiration, tips, tricks, and interviews to get your art and work into the world. Remember those ads? Say bye, bye, bye. Wait, there's more. For $5 a month, you can get access to the full prolific creator experience. This includes the full archives, early access to episodes, listener Q&A, book and movie reviews, and interviews not for the public, and perhaps any other awesomeness I might do on the microphone. Sounds awesome, right? Yeah, it does, Ryan. If you want to listen for free, you'll notice the last 50 episodes or so will always be available wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember, by subscribing today, you don't have to download any new apps, and you can simply keep listening on the podcast platform you prefer. Cool. Okay. Cool. Thanks for your love and support in advance. Simply click on the link in the show notes or on my website, and it'll take you where you need to go. Now on to the show. Welcome to the Prolific Writer Podcast, where speed's the name of the game. Follow an indie author and publisher and his guests as they share inspiration, tips, and advice on writing fast, writing often, and writing well. So you can do the same. Here's Ryan. Hello, hello, hello. This is your host, Ryan J. Pelton, and really glad that you're here. Welcome to the Prolific Writer Podcast, where we are dedicated, committed to writing fast, writing often, and writing well. And we have another great episode in store for you. So however you found us via the interwebs, if you are listening on your commute, if you are working out, if you are sitting in your home quietly listening to my smooth voice, welcome. Enough of that. I have a great episode, great interview lined up for you today. I am interviewing Amanda M. Lee, who is a prolific writer, off the charts, producer of the books and the publishing and the books and the things and the stuff. I tracked down Amanda after many weeks of stalking her online. Uh, I had heard a podcast, an interview with her and wanted to see if the rumors were true. And the rumors are true. Uh, Amanda has written over a hundred books in the last five or six years. Uh, she's the epitome of prolificness, if that's a word. Uh, she writes good books, not just hundreds of books of, of junk, but she sells really well. She writes a lot of cozy mysteries and uh, some books with witches and some other things, uh, fun books and has a loyal fan base and she writes fast. She writes often and she writes really well. And so we talked about her process and how she writes 11,000 to 14,000 words a day, how she is disciplined and treats her writing as a job. As a habit, she gets up at 
eight or nine and she gets in the chair and she works till four every day, five days a week, takes the weekends off and she outlines and she has her plan and her process and she sticks to that plan and her process. And a really great interview. You're going to learn a ton from Amanda Emily. And before we get to that, I, I just wanted to stop because Amanda really challenged me and challenged the whole career creative arena. And if you're listening to this podcast and, and you're a writer, or even if you're not a writer, I, I think these things that we talk about and the interviews that we have relate to so much of life. And Amanda is a really inspiration because I, I think she reminds us that a lot of the time and the reasons why we don't write and we don't put in the time, we don't put in the work uh, is because of fear. I've been thinking a lot about fear lately is that a lot of my life, a lot of the reasons I hesitate, a lot of the reasons I don't write those books and I don't finish that work and I, I put, push things aside and I make excuses is because of fear. Fear of feeling like a fraud, fear fear of people thinking it's not good, fear of failure. Um, you know, we hear these interviews and we hear these people who are writing, you know, a book a month, Amanda, I think she writes, she said two books a month and we, we get scared or we, we get fearful. We say, we can never do that. And I could never do that. And, and, and the reality is you might not be able to do that. And that's not the point, but the point is to deal with the fear, to deal with the hesitation, to deal with the resistance. And I think that's the most important thing about writing and the most important thing about creative work or any kind of work that matters, your voice, your message, whatever you're trying to sell, whatever you're trying to explain, whatever you're trying to share with the world, whoever you're trying to help is, is that fear factor. And I, as I've talked to people weekly and they tell me how they want to write a book and they want to, you know, start this blog or start this business or do this thing. I realized that a lot of the reasons that they'll never do it is because of fear. They haven't dealt with the fear and fear can take on so many shapes and so many sizes. The fear, I don't have the right process. The fear, I don't have the right tools. I don't have the right software. I don't have a good enough brain. I'm not creative enough, whatever it is. And, and we just continually live in perpetual fear. And so I hope you, you take something from this interview. I hope you take something from all the interviews is that Amanda again, reminds us that you just got to sit down and do the work and there's going to be fear. Fear doesn't go away. Fear is a primal instinct. Fear is always poking its head around the corner. Fear is always going to be right with you. Even when you feel the most confident, even when you feel the most creative, even when you're kicking butt and taking names and getting the words down and finishing the books and making the work and doing the stuff is fear will always be right there telling you you're not good enough. You're not creative. You're lazy. And we have to live with that dance and live in that dance and live with the fear, but we also need courage. We need courage to write courage to sit at the keyboard, courage to share the work, to talk about the work, to inspire others, to help others. We need courage. And I think we live in a, in a day and age where courage is so vital because I think so many people live in fear. And I, and I think a lot of the fear that we live in is not warranted fear. I don't think it's fear that there's actually 
harm being done to us or going to be done to us or or if we write that book and it's no good that somehow someone's going to come to our house and harm us that that's not the case i think that's what's in our heads i think that's how we build it up in our heads and then we never do the work so amanda emily kicking butt taking names prolific writer you're going to love this interview don't be scared fight the fear do the work put down the words fight the resistance you can do it you can do it amanda paves the way you're going to enjoy this so i'm going to get right to the interview hope you're all doing well hang tight a lot of cool stuff coming down the pipe but for now Check out the interview with Amanda M. Lee, and I'll talk to you really, really soon. Well, hey, thanks, uh, Amanda, for hanging out with us today and uh, yeah looking forward to chatting with you a little bit and I uh, ran across uh, you really by accident I was listening to I think it was the self-publishing roundtable um, podcast I don't know if you remember doing that interview and uh, yes and yeah I, you, you made some comments that I just I didn't really believe you because I said that's that's crazy and impossible um, of just how prolific you are and uh, so tell me, how many books have you actually written in the last five years or so? Um, you know, that's an interesting question. I don't keep track that way. I do know that in September, I will hit the 100 mark. I did just figure that out. So, and that's, I don't count the shorts as individual um, uh, books because they're only 28k so I uh, put five of them together and it ends up being 120 whatever thousand words and I count that as one so five go into one but in September I will have crossed the hundred book mark wow that's amazing so let's uh let's back up a little bit just a little bit of your story a little bit of your journey uh, so I know you uh, used to be a newspaper writer or a journalist is that correct yes yeah, I was a reporter. I graduated from college in 97, started as an editorial assistant for two years, and then moved on to a reporter after that. Okay. So you've, you've kind of been you know writing for, for quite a bit, but when did kind of the writing bug, when did that all begin? Was that well before as a child? Oh, yeah. I, I started my first book when I think I was 14. I was going to write high fantasy because I was all about Terry Brooks at the time, and um of course, that book could have never been published when you're 14, you know, but you still, you know, I worked on it for a long time and then it burned in a fire. Oh, so no. I never have to, yeah, I, I always finish everything. That's the one thing I've never finished, but it burned in a fire. So I figure I have an excuse because that was back in the day when you didn't have a cloud drive or, and everything was on like those discs, not floppy discs, but the hard discs and um, those burned too. So. Sure. Sure. So you've always always been writing, and and so would you be when you started thinking about fiction, and were you kind of writing alongside your newspaper job, or was it just kind of on the back burner, or how, how did you kind of start thinking about maybe I should make a go at this? Well, you know, I I always wrote a little bit here and there, but 
Um, for a long time, I was just about being a reporter. It was a great job. I loved doing it. I loved interacting with politicians and celebrities. And, um, you know, you're always on deadline at, when you're a reporter. I was working a lot of weekends and nights. So I didn't really think that much about writing books. But then I got, you know, the news business is rough these days. And I got laid off for two years, but then I got brought back. But in the two years I was off, I started while I was freelancing, writing a book. And I, that was my first Avery Shaw and it has tons of errors in it, but you know, it was the first one I did and I made the mistake of, um, assuming that journalism editing was the same thing as book editing, which it is not. <laughs> and, um, so I, I published that and by the time I went back to my newspaper, I had two books out and a third up just about ready to go. And I wasn't making a lot of money, and I made a, a lot of mistakes with the first um, couple covers and everything, and you know how that goes when this was back in 2011. So it was in its infancy, and a lot of people were getting away with really bad covers and selling a lot of books, so I didn't really know how bad they were, but they were bad. And um, so when I went back to the job, slowly things, as soon as I um, launched my first witch book, things really picked up quickly. And I went from making like 10 bucks a month to $300 a month off the first book. And then I started realizing, well, you know, if I actually learn about this business, I can probably make some money. So I started focusing more on covers and editing and, and, and trying to actually learn about the business. But that was in 2012. And I kept, by that time, I knew, I was happy to have my reporter job because I had benefits and which was the main thing, you know, insurance is expensive. So I was happy to have that job for that, but I knew there was, I was never going to be able to stay long enough to retire because the news business is dying. And, um, so I really put my focus on writing books versus, and then the reporter job was just a day job. It wasn't a career anymore. And, you know, I just slowly started, you know, learning more and honing my skill and it, it picked up pretty darn quickly. It really did. Um, I went from before I knew it. I mean, within, by the time I had released a second witch book, I was making like 3000 a month and it just really snowballed from there. So let's let's go back a little bit to uh, kind of your inspirations and influences. Uh, you know, a question I always have with with writers is, you know, people say, "Well, you should write with what you know or what you love or what you kind of read." So obviously, you you write in a, a couple different genres, but um, but for, you know, you have your witch series. It's pretty popular. You, you do a cozy mystery and uh, got your Grimlock series. Uh, right. What, what's kind of your what's, what's what's kind of been your influences as far as books and movies and media and things that kind of uh, inspired you to kind of write in these these genres or these kind of stories? Well, the witch stuff actually came from just imagining what day, one day what would happen because my mom and her two sisters are very close, but they also fight like cats and dogs. And I just kind of thought, what would happen if I turned them into witches? And then it snowballed and I kind of based two other witches on two of my cousins. And it just, that just, I'll, most of my stuff is based on family interactions. Um, 
like in my Avery Shaw series, everyone's like, oh, the grandpa's so wild. I wish I had someone like that. All that stuff the grandfather does in those books, my grandpa did. I mean, he's gone now, but um, he would have loved being in those books. But he went to jail for not um, reporting for jury duty. He chased robbers naked in the snow and told the cops not to worry about the third footprint because he was just that well-endowed. He used to um, skinny dip in the middle of the summer. My cousin Eric and I were sneaking in the pool one night, and he was naked on the trampoline, you know, drying off in the middle of the night. And he's like, the water's wet. And, you know, I mean, my family's wild. They're, we're really – and we're kind of codependent in a weird way. We're all up in each other's business. And that, you know – and I have a lot of reporters in my books, Um a, because it solves a problem of how, if you're writing cozy mysteries, it always becomes an issue of how people are getting their information. And being a reporter is an easy way to help get that information to solve the cases. And um, newsrooms are weird places, so side characters were easy to get inspiration because I don't know a normal person in a newsroom. Those are weird people. And I was weird in there, too. And, I mean, I used to put on... I had these snake mittens. Um, they were literally snakes and they had tongues. And when my boss would give me um, an assignment I didn't want to do, I would make the snakes talk and explain why I didn't want to do it. And, um, you know, I mean, I just, I've always surrounded myself with weird people. And it's actually worked for writing because people are always like, oh, I have an aunt just like Aunt Tilly, or I want to be Aunt Tilly when I'm a senior citizen. I get a lot of that because she's just you know, nuts. And, but my family and the way we interact with one another, we're kind of nuts. So. Yeah. I find that interesting because I, you know, people always say, well, you know, where do you get ideas from or how do you find ideas? And obviously you're not looking very far and you know, they're, they're everywhere. I mean, you know, obviously they're, they're probably not exact representations, but I mean, they're, Oh no. They're at least inspirations, you know, and, quirks and funny things I mean, and I've, well yeah and and my aunt tilly character who is my most popular character um she's more of a mixture of my great-grandmother who um she was a little nutty too but she um she used to take like my mom and her siblings to the cemetery at night when they were kids and make them steal flowers from graves because the dead people wouldn't miss them <laughs> and um she would glue uh false eyelashes on frog statues and give them out as gifts and she ran a restaurant and she couldn't cook um and so it, her personality went into aunt tilly a great deal and then i kind of um mixed her with a great aunt i had gave her my great aunt's looks because i always thought she looked like a hobbit and she had a slight mean streak and it was never a mean streak pointed at me but it was at other people and she had passive aggressive way of uh insulting people that i found hilarious um, so yeah, so, you know, and, and, and everyone's always like, cause my mom insists, um, that I'm the Avery Shaw character and she always says, well, when you did that in the book and I'm like, that's not me, she goes, it is so it's totally you. And I'm like, but it's not people make that assumption that it's just completely based on one person and it's really not. It's more like you pick one funny trait that someone has and then you blow it up to be funny in a book. And it's not really that person. You're just basing it on one trait of that person. But a lot of people don't seem to understand that. Yeah, it's kind of a mashup, you know. And, and I think there's probably – is there probably something about – you know, I think in all of our characters, all of our writing, we always think about, you know, 
what we kind of want to be. We know we'll never be that or what we really want to say, but we can never say that, you know, and sometimes yeah, fixing, I don't, yeah, I don't have place. that problem. I always, I'm one of those idiots that speaks first and then thinks about it later. I am someone who, if someone's annoying me in Starbucks, I tell them to shut up. Um, yeah, I don't, I, and I think it's because it also comes from being a reporter. You, I just am not afraid of people. And, um, you know, I can only, and I was an only child, so I have very limited patience. So, I, you know, sometimes, I mean, I got kind of in a fight at the, getting a pedicure yesterday because the woman who was sitting next to me was the cheapest person ever. And that poor girl worked for an hour and she gave her a $3 tip. It's like, what the heck is around with you? But yeah, so yeah, I don't have that. I, you know, I do have a lot of Avery Shaw on me, but I mean, I wouldn't do the things she does, but, um, you know, I just, I kind of say what comes to my mind and then deal with it afterwards. I love that. So, uh, so talk a little bit about, um, your genre in particular. I, I have to be honest as far as cozy mysteries go. I don't, I don't read a lot of cozy mysteries, but, um, but, but two things. One, explain a little bit how you define the, the genre and then also kind of why you decided to kind of write in that, in that genre. And I know from uh, other interviews that you've, you've mentioned that you don't really fit necessarily perfectly in the genre, but, but it is kind of the, at least the big pool that you swim in. Right. Um, yeah, I don't really, because cozy mysteries are supposed to be very sweet. The characters, you know, are, they can be funny, but they're not, I mean, a lot of my characters have a mean streak and they're okay with it. Um, and a lot of cozy mystery people uh, people don't like that. And my characters have sex. It's all off screen, mind you. But there's a lot of flirty banter going on. Um, you know, a lot of cozy mysteries actually fall into, I mean, there are knitting cozy mysteries and um, baking cozy mysteries and, um, you know, cozy mysteries from the point of view of a cat. And I don't do anything like that. I mean, I, my stuff fits in cozy mystery a lot of it not all of it but a lot of it um but it's not it's not the definition of a cozy mystery they're more it's more of a um it's kind of like um other than Avery Shaw everything I had I write has a paranormal element um so it's kind of a mix of cozy paranormals and maybe some chiclet thrown in and um there's even some urban paranormal in it quite often um I picked Cozy Mystery because at the time I started the f- stuff, the book I most thought my stuff was like was Janet Ivanovich's Stephanie Plum series. And it was always in Cozy Mystery. And I didn't know a lot about, you know, genres at that point. You know, to me, that was just a mystery. So, you know, that's kind of how it ended up you know, being the Cozy Mystery thing. Although I, I do, you know, I fall into urban paranormal and sometimes you know some of the paranormal fantasy and um all of my books have a mystery element but I wouldn't categorize all of them as mysteries if that makes sense um you know Avery Shaw is a straight is pretty much a straight up cozy although she has a terrible attitude most cozy mystery heroines do not have her attitude um yeah because she's just doesn't care and she actually openly tries to manipulate people as much as she can to get what she wants um but that's more the chiclet in her um 
I mean, I mostly read the Okozy mysteries or slapstick, and and I read some horror and some straight up mysteries. But I mean, I mostly read in my genre. So, but I don't follow. I mean, I don't. Most cozy mysteries are the the big rule is no blood in the death, um, no swearing, um, and. I broke from the no blood and the death thing right away. And, you know, I tackled some things like, you know, gang rape clubs and, um, you know, I, some of my killers dismember their victims. Um, I mean, I don't go into graphic detail, but I don't shy away from it either. So in that sense, I really do break from the genre. So, so, um, as far as your audience goes and your fans, um, you know, the fact that you don't fit neatly into, into categories, what's kind of been some of the response, uh, you know, from obviously people like your work, you sell a lot of books, um, but, yeah. but you know, what, how, how does that rub people, you know, the hardcore cozy mystery and then you have blood and you have this or that. What, what's been um, some response? Yeah. Most people gravitate toward my characters and they really like the characters. I don't get a lot of feet flack. Um, I think most people by this point know that, um, my characters are a little nuttier and um, I'm going to take push it a little further. Um, Cause I, I just, I don't, I mean, there's only so many different ways to kill someone and you're going to get bored um, if you're constantly poisoning someone or, you know, someone's constantly tripping and falling down the stairs or so um, most of the people are extremely, Nice. Well, I would say 95% of the messages I get are nice. However, you always get some weirdos. Um, there is one woman who reads every single witch book I write and then messages me that I'm going to hell and um, that, you know, the characters are terrible. They're mean people. And I'm just always every single time I message back, thank you for reading. And that's it. Because it, it's not going to do me any good to engage, and I can't. And she's buying every single book, but I just don't get the point if she hates him so much and why she keeps writing. So I, you know, most people are extremely pleasant and nice. There are some people who, um, you know, occasionally write and say your characters are vapid and they're terrible human beings. And I just, you know, I do that. Thank you for reading, and I, I, I don't engage. So. You know, um, it is what it is. But then you get the wonderful people. I have people who um, write me that some, you know, a woman out in a farm named all her chickens after my witches. And, you know, so that more than makes up for it. So when you're doing this, you got to have thick skin. And I think that's where the reporter comes in good, too, because I got burned in effigy all the time when when I was a reporter. So it just kind of slides off me. Yeah, because, you know, it's a funny thing where you, you can take it personally, but there's really no reason to take it personally. I mean, you didn't, you know, crawl out of the book and hurt them or, you know, it's this little fictional character you made up in your head. And yet yeah, reading can be so subjective, you know, as far as what we like and don't like. And, right. And, and I take it as a compliment that they cared enough to write me hate mail. Sure. I mean, um, it would be worse if they didn't care enough, I guess. Um, but I, I don't... I, I mean, you're never going to make everybody happy. Sure. So, um, it you know, it, it just kind of is what it is. So, um, so take us back a little bit uh, when you were, uh, you know, 
kind of transitioning out of uh, the journalism job and the newspaper job and saying, okay, I'm going to make a go at this writing gig. It sounds like, sounds like this is a better future for me. Um, when did you kind of realize that you could write as much as you, you did or, or as fast as you did? I mean, cause you're obviously, you know, just went for it and haven't looked back. Um, I mean, was there anything in you that said, yeah, I think if I'm going to do this, I have to write this many books or I have to write this fast or talk, talk a little bit about that, a little bit about your process. Well, looking at it and when you look at the list, I mean, I can hit and I can hit high, but you know, there's a lot of churn. So if you want to make really good money, you've got to have a semi regular release schedule. I don't, I don't think, I think the people who can do one or two books a year are the exceptions. They're not the rule. I think if you want to make good money, you've got to release frequently. So I figured that pretty quickly. My last year at the newspaper, I stayed a lot longer than other people would have. At a certain point, you know, when it started hitting like 10000 a month, I'm like, okay, well, I can do this, um, you know, professionally. And then it just kind of mushroomed. So by the time I started making 30000 a month, I was like, well, I can't stay at this newspaper anymore. I was only making 45000 a year at the newspaper. And so... I told my parents because I thought there was going to be a little bit of a meltdown, but they were both for it because I used to really love the job, but I got to the point where I hated it. And that last year I was there, I knew the real money was coming from writing. So I'd work 40 hours a week as a reporter, and then I'd come home and write until four in the morning because I was working nights at that point, four or five in the morning. So I was basically writing, working 80 hours a week, and it was a lot and I was tired, but I don't regret it at this point because it set me up for a really nice future. Mm -hmm. So I can't say I regret it, but it was a rough year. So I decided in about September when I was making, and this would have been 2014, that I was making way too much money and I was going to leave. I told my parents, but I decided to wait through Christmas because, um, I didn't want to ruin anyone's vacation because the newspaper had laid so many people off that, I mean, it, it's like a skeleton crew there now. So I told my immediate supervisor that I was going to be quitting right after Christmas and he, and he agreed to, you know, keep it quiet, but I wanted them aware because I was in sports at the time that um, they were going to have to figure out a way to start covering some stuff. Cause I knew they wouldn't replace me. And, um, Everyone, I did not tell the big editor because I didn't like him. That, that was after my the editor I really liked had left and we had a new one and I didn't really care what he thought. So, um, yeah, so I, just, I, I knew um, in September I stayed through December. By the time I left in December, though, I had went up to like 50000 a month. And then all of a sudden it was 70000 a month. And then not long after I was gone, it started hitting six figures a month. And I was like, well, this was the best idea I ever had. I was long gone from there. And then I was only back down to working like 40 or 50 hours a week. And it was such a relief when I got out there. Everyone's like, oh, aren't you going to be sad when you go? And I'm like, I don't think you understand how much I've been working because you don't see it. 
that's one of the problems with writing. People don't see you doing the work because you do it at home. And so there's, you know, a lot of people seem to think I'm sitting home watching General Hospital all day. And um, so they didn't get it. And um, they did. A lot of people didn't believe me, which is fine. Um, They just thought I don't know if they thought I was quitting because. I was going to go on welfare or something. I, you know, I don't know what they thought. I, you know, I, they just didn't believe that I could be making money writing books, but you know, I was happy to get out of there. And so once I settled into it, I gave it a long, hard look at what I wanted to do. And, you know, I basically set up a schedule and, um, the first, the way it's set up now, I basically, I write two books a month. Um, the ones under my main name tend to be about 90 to 100,000 words, and the ones under my pen name are 60,000 words. The first two weeks, I write a main name book. The third week, I write a pen name book. And then the fourth week, I edit. And I just recycle and go. And, it, you know, it works pretty well for me. Sounds like you got a good, good system going for you. Now, is that, is that kind of just, I mean, along the way, have you kind of learned yourself? I mean, as far as what you can, I mean, not everybody would probably say, oh, I'm going to write two books a month and, or three books a month and edit. Um, I mean, did you kind of figure out, like, this is actually doable? Um, you know, it's not, not going to kill me necessarily? Yeah, and you know what? I, I don't think most people could probably do it. And I don't, I'm not setting it up to say that I'm special as much as oh, my sure. training as a reporter taught me to write a lot on deadline and I can do it in a room where TV is going. I mean, I turn the TV on when I'm writing now and I'm hyper efficient. So I know going into a week that I need to write 20 chapters is the general depending on, you know, what's going on, but it's usually 20 chapters. So if you got five days a week, that's four chapters a day. I'm the type of person that I can't, take my weekend off until all that writing is done. So I'm far more likely on Mondays and Tuesdays to wedge in a couple extra chapters. Then I can kind of coast Thursdays and Fridays, and then I take the weekends off. And there are a lot of weeks I've I write so fast I can take a three-day weekend. And um, I'm, I, may, I don't let myself get distracted. If something has to be done in a day, I can't stop until it's done. And knowing that, makes it so I get it done early. You know, you get up at eight, I'm usually writing by nine and I'm usually done by four or so at the latest. And I usually write depending on the day, um, 11,000 to 14,000 words. And I write clean because that's another holdover from being a reporter. Um, most my first drafts are pretty much 90% of my finished drafts. So do you have a, a, a method of like going back in as far as why you're writing and editing or is that just kind of straight through or how has that kind of evolved or? Well, I, when I outline and I, I couldn't do it without outlines. I, I'm not going to lie. The outlines keep me on point. So what happens is when I finish a book before I, each of my series has its own notebook. I like to outline by hand. I don't know what that is, but I like to, I'd prefer to do it that way because I can make notes with an ink pen and stuff and it's flipped open next to me as I'm writing. So um, once I finish the current book I'm writing, I outline the next book in the series 
before I put that notebook away. That saves me time in multiple ways. I don't have to remember where I was in the timeline. I don't have to remember what had previously happened because I make tiny little notes about why they would be mentioning this, that, or the other thing, what time of year it is, what recently happened. But it's all in my head just from the book I have just written. So it's very easy to outline. And I outline um, by beats versus – I don't do in-depth outlines. I know some people do 10,000-word outlines, but that is not me. I Each chapter gets about two sentences, and it's usually something like, you know, um, keep track of John Smith as red herring here, Landon and Bay go to a festival, run into John Smith, and he acts weird. You know, that could be – the whole thing for that chapter. It's just something to keep me on point. And then when I start writing, I basically let the chapter get there however it wants. Um, and I, I save time by not, because I know a lot of people go back and reread the previous book in the series right before they start outlining another one. But but I don't have to do that because I've already outlined it just as I finished the last one. So I remember all that stuff. Um, and then as I'm going through it, um, I basically, I, I create a folder on my desktop. I write each chapter in its own. I write, I just write in Word. I don't do anything fancy. Um, each chapter has its own file. It gets saved right into that folder. As I'm going through, if I notice something that I forgot to do earlier in the book, I don't go back and immediately change it. I make a note on my outline, you know, in a different color ink so it stands out. And then that outline book is still open when... I go back through to start editing and usually I have anywhere from five to 10 um, trails that I need to revisit as I'm going through the editing, but I don't stop and immediately go back because you might end up back in that chapter another four or five times. If you do it that way, this way I know at the end of the book exactly what I have to hit and where. So when I go back through on the editing, all that stuff's laid out for me and I can cross it off the list when I've hit each one that I know I have to add back in. So is this, uh, is your process, is this like how you've always done it or is this something that's kind of evolved over the last few years? No, I, yeah, it's evolved. Um, I've tried different things. Um, I used to, there was a time I would um, write the chapter for like, and I usually did this with pen name books because they were only about 20 um, chapters. I would write the chapter, immediately go through and edit it and compile it in a master file. So by the time I was done, I could immediately send it off to um, an editor. But I found that I, I missed a few things doing that. So I kind of discarded that. And now I like to have like the week between, I like the full editing week where I usually edit two books and, you know, it works pretty well. And usually like this week, like this morning I edited 30,000 words Tomorrow I'll edit another 30,000, but then that book's done and I edited another one Monday. So I will have a three day weekend this week and you know, it's nice and easy. And then next on Monday, I start my next uh, circus book. So. Yeah. I think that's really wise. The, the idea of giving yourself kind of, um, how do you say it? Uh, <laughs> it's like paying yourself an allowance, you know, I got to finish. If I finish this, then I can do this or I can have this or I can have my weekend. Or, um, I think that's just a really great mindset to have as writers, especially prolific writers that know they can't just write one book a year. Um, but to say, Hey, I can enjoy the weekend, but I'm not going to do it until I, I get the writing in. Um, 
Well, and I reward myself. Um, like for, for to get on the exact schedule I wanted, I had a lot to finish up. Last year I bought a new house, so I missed a couple weeks while all moving because you know how that goes. So when November December rolled around, I had eight titles to fit in in two months, and three of those were witch shorts, so those were only twenty k eight. 28k each but that still meant five full books and so i decided if i got through all of it i could buy myself a pair of really expensive boots i got through all of it and i have the boots so uh, yeah you know um i i i don't have a problem bribing myself you know if i have extra to do i'll Flat out say, okay, if you want to do this, you can order that really expensive Star Wars shelf I've got my eye on at Pottery Barn, you know. Um, so, you know, my and and to be fair, I, I don't want I, I don't have children, so I don't have that distraction. Um, I have maids, I have lawn care, um, I don't. I have food delivery. I don't do any of that stuff myself. So I understand that there are people out there who can't, don't have that luxury. But for me, my time is literally money for me, and I'm not going to waste it cleaning the house. So, um, you know, I decided that, you know, I want, you know, it, it's worth the money to me for, you know, the maids and the lawn care and, um you know, I get a massage every two weeks and, you know, I, I don't, you know, I don't, I, I don't, if I want something, I pretty much just get it. So. Well, it's not a bad place to be. And, you know, it's interesting. I was just listening to a, a podcast today. I was running around and um, they were talking about family life. And um, one of the guys was just talking about, you know, getting a, you know, didn't call it a maid, but, you know, a house cleaner or whatever. Um, but part of it was just because they they wanted to say, you know, for this small amount of money, I'm freed up to actually be, you know, do my creative work and get the work done. And, and that's just a choice we're making. You know, it's, it's you know, it does carve into, you know, if you have a family and you have kids and, you know, you have to figure out, okay, what, how do I maximize my production? How do I maximize time? And, and you kind of have to know yourself too. Um you know, well, I, would, I know I'm a pig, so well, hey, when I get go. this new house, I was <laughs> my mom took one look at this house and said, you're not going to be able to keep this up. <laughs> and I said, no, I'm hiring Molly Maid. And she goes, good, because there's no way you're going to be able to keep three stories of this house up. <laughs> and she's right, because there's four bathrooms and, you know, I'm just and I'm not going to do it. So they don't do my laundry or dishes or clean the litter boxes, but um, they do. And you know what? Knowing they come every Tuesday between 11 and 3, like clockwork, helps me not let the house get out of control while because I know they're going to be there every Tuesday. Well, that's great. So, well, and that's, uh, that's, you know, you know yourself. I mean, that's, you know, hey, you're a pig. So there you go. No. <laughs> oh, I am. I am a total pig. Right. And, I don't have, I, it's not an insult to me. I yeah. just am not a clean person. Yeah. And, you know, other people, they, they like cleaning because that's kind of their outlet or they like cooking or they like, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a different, you know, part of our creativity that they enjoy. And, and so, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, I have, yeah, I have friends, my friend, Christy, her house is immaculate. You can eat off the floor. And whereas I'm like, and, but she's on there, you know, I'll clean it on Saturday. Whereas on Saturday, I'm like, what's on Netflix? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I just, you know, I'm, you know, I, I'm very 
on point and hyper efficient when it comes to writing, but when it comes to something like cleaning, it's like, eh, eh, you know, so, but I, you know, and I don't, I swore up and down once I moved out of my old house, I was never mowing a lawn again. And I hold to that. I cannot stand mowing the lawn and I'm not going to do it. <laughs> so, but and that was a waste of, and it's not just the waste of time of, what it takes to do the chore as much as it's the time I'm like, Oh, I don't want to do that. You know, you waste that too. So now I just, you know, I, I'd like to focus on the writing and, but I know I can't quit for the night until I get done. So I'm usually pretty, I don't dilly dally. I'm usually pretty on point. I get up, I, you know, shower and brush my teeth. And then I usually get in a new pair of pajamas and, come downstairs and I, I put television shows in the TV. It's got to be something I've watched before. And I think this is a holdover from the reporter too. I can't listen to music, but I can put on a television show on low in the background and something like Gilmore girls or Buffy, the vampire slayer. And then I just go and I'm usually done by three or four and I've got my 11,000 to 14,000 words and do it all over the next day. So can I, let me back up just for a, a second. Um, I was just curious, it's more of probably my own curiosity, but even though um, when I interview people, I always ask this question a lot because I, I find it interesting. So you write, some of your books are about 28,000 words, kind of shorter, kind of shorter novella length. What, what are, What's kind of the word count for your kind of normal sized books? Um, and then do you write kind of... Uh, scene by scene, like a chapter's a scene or multiple scenes or how many words per, right. per chapter. So, um, so the shorts are basically marketing tools. They are only in my, um, wicked witches of the Midwest series. Okay. Um, because people are constantly on me. They want more books in that series. And, but I'm a big proponent of having multiple series and multiple entry points to your work. Um, I don't think it's, um, wise to just focus on one series because what happens when that series is done and no one wants to go check out your other series. So I only do two full book entries in the series a year and then I pad out the Wicked Witches with the shorts. They're 28,000 words um, and usually from the um, perspective of a side character. Some of them go back in time and, and they're just little mysteries. Um, each of my chapters is usually about 2,500 words and they're pretty much almost all the time, like two scenes, unless there's something really big going on. Then it's only one scene. Um, my main name books, and it took me a while to come get to the point where I was really comfortable, but most of my main name books are uh, between the 80 and 95,000 word range. I don't set a goal for those. I just write to what they are. Whereas I have a pen name to my pen name books, I always um, outline them to be 60K and they're almost right on the nose at 60K. Okay. So when you, um, when you outline, so you have your outline, let's say for a full size book, um, you're still not saying, you're just saying, here's the outline, here's the story. So however long it takes to get the story <laughs> told is really the word count. You don't worry too much about, you know, this is going to be a 90,000 no. word outline or whatever. Oh, no. And, you know, looking, I just tell the story I want to tell. And it usually, although, like, last week, I finished up, uh, or I guess it was two weeks ago, I finished up 
one of my witch mysteries. And usually they end up being right around like 90,000 words. And this one came in at like 98,000. So I was like, wow, okay. But I don't, I'm not cutting out because there was a lot going on in the book. And, you know, it is, I don't worry about stuff like that. Um, you know, I just kind of write it for what it's worth. And um, I don't, yeah, I don't. Most people, from what I can tell, and, you know, I write the shorts as marketing tools for my Wicked Witches of the Midwest series, but there's a good 30% of my readers who do not like the shorts and make no bones about it. They write nasty messages. They don't like the shorts. They only like the full mysteries. Um, you know, they get – but I've, you know, been very firm going back. Even if the shorts go, that doesn't mean you're getting more witch mysteries. Um, so, you know, most, and most of the shorts are set back in time. So they're little snapshots from the past for the characters. And a lot of people really love them. Some people don't like them though. And that is, I have, it's just, you know, and from my perspective, shorts don't sell. It's just, you know, I mean, my shorts sell because they're attached to the a popular series, but like, on a, when a normal mystery releases, I sell like probably seven or eight thousand copies the first week, whereas a short is probably only about five thousand five hundred to six thousand copies the first week. So there, a lot of people read them, and I have a lot of people say I don't like shorts, but I like the witch shorts. But in general. You know, the shorts just don't sell as well, and they only sell for me because they are attached to this popular series. Yeah, I find that interesting, too, because, I mean, in the day of, you know, ebooks, I mean, 28,000 is not, I mean, when I think short, I don't even think that's that short. I, think, I mean, to me, that's... Oh, like, I know, but people complain. Yeah, right. I mean, that's a good size read. I mean, that's going to take you at least a few, couple hours. It's not like you can breeze through that in, uh, you know, 30 minutes. Uh, yeah, that's but you a, know what, though? Um, in, in, in the cozy genre, women, and it's mostly women readers, um, mm -hmm. for me, um, they read my books in one sitting, even the 95,000 word runs. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, that tw those 28 K just doesn't do it. Um, and I know it is much longer than a lot of the shorts other people are doing, but they don't seem to care. So. That's interesting. Um, so talk a little bit, um, just, just a little bit kind of digging into your process a little bit here is, okay, so you write, you know, your 11,000, 14,000 word, pretty clean drafts. And then what's your, your pro what's kind of been your evolution of your process as far as editors, beta readers kind of getting it finally right. cleaned up? Um, yeah, I don't do beta readers. Okay. Um, I don't do arc reviewers or any of that. I'm kind of lazy on that front. I just put it out there and let it all come in organically. That's, I, I don't want to deal with organizing arc readers and so I just I and I luck out enough that I get I have enough sales that you know the reviews tend to populate organically which is nice um for editing and it took me a while to get to a, a crew together that I'm comfortable with you know how that goes um but so um I have my former editor from the newspaper who's a PhD and he has another job now, but he um, edits strictly for me on the side and he does a full 
line edit for me. And even though I think everything's absolutely perfect when I send it to him, I want to cry it so red when I get it back. But um, he's a master going through it. Then I go through what he gives me, and then I send it to um, another proofreader. Because no matter who it is, they can't catch absolutely everything. Sure. And then she's the and the proofreader's technically my VA too because she listens to audio um, copy for me and stuff because I just don't have time to waste eight hours listening to my words read back to me in audio so I make her do it <laughs> and um you know so she, but she does final proofreads for me too then when I get it back I um run it through Grammarly just as a like a last um look at it and believe it or not while Grammarly comes up with some funky things to suggest as um changes it does it's very good at picking out lost or or missing articles and so even at that final thing i usually it grammarly usually picks out two or three things for me and then i format and vellum and call it a day and then you're you're doing do you do ebook and prints and yes and are you doing who are you doing print through um, create space. Okay. And then do you, do you for, do all the formatting yourself, like covers and all that? I uh, yeah, I make all my own covers too, except for my Grim Reapers who go through a very, um, talented guy named Norman Dixon. Um, I could never find any Grim Reaper art I liked. So, um, he hand draws those suckers for me, but I, yeah, I do the rest of them. I, I was trained on Photoshop starting in college and it was a learning curve doing covers versus the stuff I used to do for the newspaper. But um, Cozy Mysteries are um, pretty easy cover-wise. You know what I'm saying? Um, they're not – you don't have to do anything really funky, uh, magical with them because it's more of the illustration um, type deal. So um, – and I like doing covers. I will – you know, if I'm bored at home, I boot up my computer and just mess around with covers for hours. I've got, I think, 20 series – and I'm talking about the entire covers for the entire series sitting on my desktop that I haven't, they're series I haven't gotten to yet to write. Wow. That's great. So where do you find, yeah. find your art for, um, for your covers? Do you do that yourself? Uh, Shutterstock and one, two, three ARF and, um, deposit photos. I love looking around, um, photo websites because I always get, um, ideas when I see different photos I've had, I can't, I, you know, I've got tons of series ideas just from photos I've seen. That's great. And then as far as like marketing, what do you do for, for marketing? I'm terminally lazy when it comes to marketing too. And I'm lucky. Um, I bet, you know what? I, my marketing plan mostly runs on new releases. It really does try to get a book bub when I can, but I'm with KU and you know how that goes. Um, they, 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 are less likely to take um, select books. Um, they do occasionally, but I was running on, uh, I think, 52 no's in a row when they just took uh, one of mine in February. Um, so, but I try to do that when I can. Occasionally I get uh, energized and I'll, like, go through and um, do a free run on, like, ENT or... Um, what uh, Robin reads, I guess, and 100 free books. Um, now that Pixel of Ink and the Midlist are gone, there's really not a lot of re really good mid-tier advertisers. I run um, and 
AMS ad on my first witch book, which has a good rate of return. Um, and that's pretty much it. I don't do Facebook ads. I tried and they never worked for me. So I just gave it up and I basically rely on new releases to fuel me and it really does. Um, we have a lot of them. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I have at least two a month. So one on my main name and one under my pen name every single month. So next book's usually the best marketing tool. That's for sure. It really is. And I like having multiple series. Um, I'm launching a new series in May and, um, you know, I, I try not to run anything too far into the ground um, lengthwise. Um, but the good news with Cozy Mysteries is people like long series and um, Cozy Mysteries. So, you know, like my Grim Reapers will go nine books. My Avery Shell will go 15 books. Um, there's no end in sight for the witches. Um, but, um, you know, I've got replacement series already ready. And once the Covenant um, series ends in the uh, August, that will be it for that, except I am going to cross the characters over to two of my existing series for each one, you know, in a book, because they kind of live in the same world. So I figured that would be good for those fans. So, yeah. So with that, how do you decide kind of what? what series to work on? Is that just more just kind of what you're excited about or I mean, Oh no, I have a schedule. Okay. I've got my whole year's schedule done. Okay. So you're, you're not just going. Like and not only do I schedule it, I schedule the dates Okay, that it's going to be written. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. I've got my whole 2017 schedule sitting right next to me. <laughs> okay. Great. No. Yeah. I don't, uh, I, I don't do any of the meandering because I try to stay in rotation for releases. So, um, you know, and I'm a lot of people don't put release schedules out, but I put one out there and pin it to my Facebook page as a way of, you know, accountability. My fans are expecting these books on these days, so they have to get done. If you're talking to an aspiring writer or someone who's writing in a series, what would be your advice as far as, you know, you, you did mention earlier, write multiple series, don't get hung up on just one. Um, but also, like, how, how would you say, like, release schedule? I mean, write two in the same series, then two more in another one? Or how, how yeah. would you kind of think about um, that? That's a good question. Um, I would probably do three in one series before branching out to a second one. Mm-hmm. Um, that seems to be working for a lot of people. I know that th- that release three books in um, rapid succession. However, I can't recommend that off my own history because that's not how I did it. I just... I, you know, I started in 2011, and I had no idea what I was doing, and I released willy-nilly. Um, I released two Avery Shaws right at the beginning. Then I did one Covenant College, then one Witch, and then I, you know, got my head in the game better about what was going on um, and released in a more regular fashion. But, um, yeah, I try to release one full book in each series um, under my main name every six months. The Witches um, have two mysteries they have two fantasies where i do really wacky things with them twice a year and then i do the five shorts and then i just kind of just you know dole them out so there's not too long of a wait for the witches but everything else is like and then i I released this summer a full trilogy the end trilogy for my covenant series but other than that everything is like every six months okay so let's uh kind of put a little bow on this because i want to be sensitive to your time um 
what is one piece of advice you'd give you know the aspiring prolific writer um, from what you've what you're learning what you've done your experiences your failures your victories what would be some things you words of wisdom you'd give the aspiring writer well, one of the things I see that drives me absolutely crazy, I, I kind of call it excuses syndrome, where uh, people come up with some of the wackiest things I've ever heard for why they didn't get their writing in for a day. And I just, you can't, I don't think you can be successful if you're constantly coming up with excuses. If you want to move forward, you you have to eliminate the excuses and just get it done. Um, people ask you know, people seem to think I have this trick for getting all these words in, but I don't. I sit down and do it. But they, they're always like, but how, but how? I'm like, I get up, I shower, I brush my teeth, I get in new pajamas, and then I get my work done. I can't stop for the night until it's done. And, you know, I would never suggest that anyone try to write as much as I do in a day either because I honestly think that my training as a reporter helps me streamline my attention span and my, you know, um, attention to detail that other people probably, unless you were trained that way, it's not as easy for you. But if your goal is um, two chapters a day, and that's another thing. I never set word goals. I don't say I'm writing 14,000 words a day. I say I'm writing four chapters or five chapters, and I can never stop in the middle of a chapter. So, you know, I think that's, um, helps productivity too. It's if, if you say I'm going to write 2000 words, it's like people quit at 2005 words right away. Whereas if you say you're going to write five chapters, then you know, you have to go through until those chapters are done. You don't have an easy excuse to quit right away as soon as you're done. I think that's really great advice. I think it's kind of that hard hat you know, creative, you just put on your hard hat, put on your gloves and you go to work and punch the clock. I mean, I think we kind of look for the magical unicorn or muse or, you know, some kind of inspiration that's supposed to fall from the sky, but you know, you just got, you just got to do the work and you know, whether- well, I think that half the, yeah, I think half the problem is people get it into their head that the writer life is like this little floaty life that mm-hmm. you write for like 20 minutes and then you go have coffee for the rest of the day. You can certainly try to do it that way, but I don't think you're going to make it anywhere if you do it that way. And, you know, I I just, I don't let myself have any excuses. If something pops up that I don't get something done, then I have to work on weekends. It just has to be done. Like when I moved, I didn't um, eliminate any of the books on my list that I had to write last year. In fact, I added to um, because I ended up writing... 31 novels and six shorts last year and I moved. So, um, no excuses. No, I just don't allow it to get into my head. It's got to get done. So I get it done. That's great. I think that's great. Great advice. I think there's just too much. Yeah. Like you're saying, willy nilly, just, you know, well, we're writers. We write 30 minutes a day and then, you know, just sip coffee and watch TV. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I, Amanda, I really do appreciate your time um, and all the wisdom and experiences and stories you've shared that's going to help a lot of people. And before you go, tell everybody where they can find you and find your work and, and all that good stuff. Oh, well, I'm just on Amazon, and it's Amanda M. Lee. Make sure you put in the M because there's Amanda Lee yeah. who writes knitting mysteries, and that is not me, and uh, her fans don't like my stuff because her stuff's much more um, – 
cutesy, I guess would be the word. Whereas my characters, you know, I've got a great aunt who curses the her nieces to smell like bacon and they attract every man in town and some people don't like that. Um, so yeah. And, um, that's about it. So yeah, I'm, I'm exclusive with Amazon. So great. Well, Hey, thanks again, Amanda. And, uh, Hey, blessings on your career and, uh, all the, all the best of luck. And yeah, I hope to talk to you again sometime. Great. Thanks a lot. Thanks Amanda. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. Thanks for stopping by the Prolific Writer Podcast. Please leave a review on iTunes so we can help more writers share their stories with the world. And head over to rockhousepublishing.com for books, resources and other writing and publishing tips. See you next time.